You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Cleveland Cavaliers select Darius Garland from Vanderbilt University. Hey, we're back here on Locks on Cavs. Chris Manning here with Evan Damerel. Evan, I'm gonna. We have three things we're gonna talk about today. The tr- coaching mm-hmm. transition is a season high, which says a lot about the season. Tristan <laughs> Thompson and the win over Miami. Where do, I'm gonna give you dealer's choice. Where do you want to start? Let's start with because I'm proud of myself, and you said it was a good idea. Let's talk about Tristan Thompson and just how fun he was this year for the Cavs. Chris, I'm gonna give you the floor. Do you think? Tristan Thompson was other than I mean, there's either him or Colin Sexton or Kevin Love. If you really want to be like Evan here, um, do you think Tristan was Cleveland's best player this year? Hmm. Okay. So I would I I would enter it this way. I think in terms of like leadership, if you're incorporating leader on court, I think Colin was probably the best. Um, it's interesting because Nance is actually like Kevin's the. If you look at like. Battle of replacement. Uh-huh. Kevin's number one. Larry's number two. Clarkson and Henson are three and four. And then it's Tristan and then uh, Sexton. At, and they're both Sexton's at point one and Thompson's at point two. Kevin's all the way up at 1.8. Larry at 1.4. So, like, according to those numbers, those guys would be more valuable than Tristan and Colin. Here, here's what I will just say about Tristan Thompson. I don't think this season has obviously gone well. There's been a lot of drama. I don't think it's nearly as enjoyable for us to cover. I don't think, I think in terms of the locker room, I think it's probably worse if you don't have a guy like Tristan there to kind of lead things to, you know, and, and some, maybe we're overstating how important he was in that sense. But I think if you're looking at a guy who's trying to set a tone this year, he's the guy doing that more than Kevin, more than any other vets. No shade to those guys. Kevin obviously came around after some some bad Instagram posting and, and chucking balls at people and slapping chairs and whatever, like, and apologized and is currently the fit God of the quarantine. But I think when you look at just the overall kind of tone setting, I don't think there's anyone that sets more of a tone on this group than Tristan. Mm-hmm. I think that will be Colin in time, but I think in terms of a locker room leadership, it's, this is Tristan's team in that sense, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Kevin, we heard rumors and murmurs and rumblings and whatever else you want to say for whispers um, that Kevin was done, done in rings, if you will, uh, with Cleveland last year and won it out. And that didn't happen. And we all know it reached a boiling point. And, but Tristan as well was, you know, another key veteran besides Delhi. But I think Delhi's just happy to be here at this point. So we can kind of just cross him off the list. Um, Tristan is another meaningful veteran from that championship team that, um, could have easily made a huge stink. Um, he could have made a scene. He could have made things a lot worse, a lot harder for the Cavs. And no, he embraced the role of being a mentor. I think he's just kind of realistic, realistic and realizes the situation. I mean, it does help to have Rich Paul as an agent who always takes care of his clients. So I'm sure Tristan will be taken care of this summer in free agency, but 
I think Rich also maybe got in his ear a little bit and gave him good advice saying like, listen, don't act like Kevin because it's going to shoot you in the foot long term. And that probably is what shoot, shot it. Not probably it did shoot Kevin in the foot in terms of getting traded. But um, no, Tristan actively embraced being a mentor and a guide, guiding factor of this team. And just kind of like, maybe it's kind of funny. Um, Tristan is a guy LeBron took under his wing when he returned. And I think Tristan's kind of paying it forward like LeBron did for him years ago, where while he's on his way out, just kind of show these young guys, like, this is how you do things. This is how you treat, take care of your body. This is how you optimize and make the most out of practice this is what you need to do this is what you need to not do especially when it comes to being with girls in the club if your girlfriend's pregnant like don't do stuff like that but there's just a lot of good things tristan did this year and like you said i don't think this season would be nearly as enjoyable if having a guy from the championship team and honestly the most tender he is the most tenured cavalier on the roster like he's been here since 2011 so him having a good final year in Cleveland and the fact that um, this is kind of what I was touching on when we were discussing topics today, um, more so that his numbers from last season were, were in a limited season last year weren't an anomaly in the fact that he still has a lot of gas left in the tank. And I think that wherever he does end up, even if he for some reason ends up back in Cleveland, like he's going to make a team very happy and Tristan's just a player who is endearing and you enjoy watching him play because he just hustles and works his ass off every single night. Are you surprised at his season? Because I'm, I find myself a little surprised that he was able to be as impactful as he was. I am surprised. Yeah, no, I'm definitely surprised at the fact that he is one, two, three, four, five. He's in his ninth season and he's averaging a career best 12 points to go with 10.1 rebounds, which is slightly less than last year, but he only played 43 games last year and was on pace to at least play if the majority of this season. So like this is a career year for him and maybe you can say like you can point the finger that's a contract here, but whatever. It's just, it's been a, it's, I'm not, I'm like, I, I, I want to say I'm surprised like the three point shooting definitely surprised. I, I rode that gravy train for as long as I could. At the same time, like this is just kind of how Tristan's always been. He's always just been a high energy dude who grinds and hustle and has a nose for the boards. And I'm just I'm happy and kind of more or less sad that to think that like this was a fun season, especially in his last year, and likely is his last year with Cleveland. And it's just kind of a shame that it's already over. It'll be a major bummer if they cannot figure really something kind of out honor him and talk about him in the way that I think he deserves to be if the season doesn't come back because he's a guy that I think whether you know fans would have realized it or not like is I think certainly on the last run of his Cavs career and that that sucks and if we don't get to kind of experience that end in a way that is really satisfying I think that's just kind of weird and I, I don't think that's that's life there, there's gonna be a lot of stuff that um certainly you know we're gonna be problematic in that sense and all that but terms of missing stuff and there's going to be things you know there's people all over this the country that are in the world that are missing out on stuff so tristan's like not oh this is like a Cavs only thing but when you just think about it it's like if i could if i think that for me if i if i could say the three things that i wanted to see kind of happen as we come back that i would say i would that would most looking forward to seeing i think that's top two for me in terms of <sighs> things tristan getting kind of the send off in theory that he deserves. And if it is actually a send off that he deserves is kind of probably right up there for me. Yeah, it definitely is. And I just, like you said, I hope the Cavs they're, they're the masters of making tributes and homages to uh, players, whether they did or didn't play for the organization. 
we were talking about the last dance in the last episode we recorded a little bit. One, I the tribute tour if LeBron's not here for that, like when he does his retirement tour is gonna be insane. But I feel like the Cavs are gonna put together something really nice just to commemorate Tristan. And I feel more than anything, and I really, really hope because he's not leaving the team on bad terms. Like just all by all accounts, good guy, Tristan Thompson. You can think whatever you think of him off the floor, but like on the court and within the locker room, great guy. I hope he doesn't get the Kyrie Irving treatment where the Cavs, if they draft a rookie or bring somebody in through free agency, says they want 13. And it's kind of like when Kyrie was drafted where they say, no, 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 that's that's because Kyrie wanted to wear 11 for those at home who didn't know when he was first drafted by the Cavs. And the Cavs told him, no, that's disease number. And we're planning on retiring it someday. And I think... They retired it a few years after that. It's actually in the book for our book club that they discuss on as a part of a free agency pitch for LeBron, but we'll get to that in a bit. No, I just really hope they don't reissue 13 after Tristan is gone because just out of respect to the player and just how much of an impact he's had and just how tenured and how long he's been here and just by all accounts, like never really has been a problem for the Cavs. And I think hopefully someday 13 is, you know, in the rafters along with a few other jerseys that I think should be up there. Yeah, I I think that's extremely fair. Uh, I I think someone wearing thirteen, it feel weird, very weird, super weird. It's like um, Dylan Windler taking Kev's legend. Doing I I can't even stick to the bit. No, yeah, that'd be super weird. It's it, it's as weird as Sexton wearing two to me. It, it just kind of feels disrespectful. It'd be even weirder because things didn't end, well are as far as you know aren't going to end acrimoniously with Tristan. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, but it's yeah, I I and like and at least Kyrie was like it's a number or whatever. Kyrie's there. There's let's not go down that rabbit hole again. But it'd be weird if if like the top pick is like I'm gonna wear number thirteen. That'll be weird. And yeah, that's not what you want. I feel like I I hope it's discouraged if it, the player says comes in and says I really want to wear thirteen, but at the same time I don't think many players wear thirteen, so I think we'll be okay. I mean, I could be wrong here, but yeah, we'll see. All right. We'll be back with a little more here on Lockdown Cavs. So stay tuned for our next dive. Evan, let's, let's tease here. What do you want to talk about next? Are we talking about the Miami game or JB to JB? JB to JB, because I'm pretty sure JB was coaching during that Miami game. So might as well go for the bad. All right, we're back here on Lockdown Cavs. Now we're just going to talk about, I think, what will be the defining Cavs story of the season. The fact that they switched head coaches during the season, the tone of things changed. Bicker, J.B. Bickerstaff obviously came in uh, to be the steady hand to John Beeline, to be mm-hmm. someone who could help kind of Beeline get used to the NBA, someone who could come in and I think really kind of help the Cavs with what they were going to be trying to do. And I think, you know, there were some whispers of the succession plan stuff, yada, yada, yada. He was also a finalist for the head coaching job as far as we sort of understand it, but they've now committed to him as a head coach. Evan, I just want to say, I I know there are, we talked to people, um, both, you know, just kind of interacting with Grizzlies folks where he came from on Twitter, talking with people around, you know, you do hear some criticisms about JB, but when I, when I've, and I, I, to reference the last dance for the second episode in a row and thinking about what the players were saying and Steve Kerr was saying about playing for a former player and a guy just at least knowing how the NBA works. I just like even when, when a second year guy like Hans Sexton highlights that is the biggest change between one coach to the other. It, even though like 
beelines you know has a more detailed resume and you know has a more was known as more of kind of an innovator and all these things like he didn't understand how this sort of work JB does and the guys it seemed to resonate with the team in ways that you know they just never was going to go with beeline and I, I think it's you know we'll see how it turns out long term I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think JB Bickerstaff is going to go down as like an all-time Cavs coach like I don't really know how likely that is but when I think about this like I do think that that part of JB was something we we I think we underrated coaches and just his ability to know how things work and get guys going in the right way yeah absolutely and just to touch on what you said like and I'm going to ask you a question to follow this up it doesn't really matter what John Bailey's resume is at the end of the day. Like, yeah, he has been successful wherever he went, but, and he's always like flirted with the idea apparently of coaching at the NBA level. Like he, before he took the Cavs job, he was a finalist for the Pistons job, but the news got out apparently. And that's what caused him to back away from the situation, whatever. But one time is a flat circle because again, a Dan Gilbert pick with David Blatt, however many years ago it's been now and now John Bayline, that being the Dan Gilbert pick, but the assistant coach that the general manager with David Griffin and Ty Lue and now Kobe Altman, J.B. Bickerstaff being the coach that work, works out. I'm not saying it's going to result in a championship for the Cavs, but it does make you wonder. You just wish the Cavs could do the normal thing, the conventional thing. And that's where my question is, Chris, what was your initial reaction when the Cavs hired Bayline? Like I didn't know how to feel when I saw the news. I texted one of my friends from college who's a Michigan fan, and I got so many thought. I asked Brad Rowland because Matt Brad's a Michigan fan. Uh, Brad, the host of Locked On Hawks, um, in terms of what he thought. But I thought it was weird. It kind of came out of nowhere. Like, I don't remember there being any sort of indication that that was something that was going to be done. Um, Absolutely not. I, you know, I don't have like the sources that I would like to have, obviously, but. <sighs> You know, you look at that, and it was surprising. And I, but it, and I think, I think looking back at it, just in terms of timing, a flat circle, like you are extremely right to compare the these two different cycles, the Blatt to Lou, and then Beeline to Bickerstaff, in terms of how they played out, and obviously different teams, different expectations, different success levels for those coaches. Like for all his issues, David Blatt did win a lot of games, and you know we can quibble about how much he actually credit he deserves, yada yada. But like. Let's say, Chris, we, we, we know David Blatt won a lot of games. He let everybody know he's won a lot of games. Just like he damn brought let everyone know he coached LeBron because Akron. But when you think about... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> did, did, did you... Did, did OU make the MAC tournament finals every year? No, I didn't think so. Regardless. When, just I, when I just think about this, like, I just can't imagine... Um, it just feels like there's a lesson here that should be learned in... <laughs> that maybe more than anything explains the JB bump to me. It's not a X's and O's thing. Like aside from the fact that he really mm-hmm. simplified a lot of stuff. Like I think it's really just a guy that sort of understands how this works better than John Beeline. That, that it, to me, yeah, it like, might exactly. be as simple as that. And that's weird to say. I mean, John Beeline had a meltdown when they lost a preseason game to the Celtics and was questioning his decision. And then he also didn't allegedly, and I've, verified it from some sources but still it just didn't know how to adapt when the Cavs traded Jordan Clarkson like he was completely dumbfounded and didn't know what to do and maybe that's the problem with college where you get to handpick your roster and that's the team you're more or less with for the entire season like the NBA especially in a rebuilding team like the Cavs like your roster is a bit of a revolving door you need to adapt but like 
yeah, no, there's a lot of just small moments that should have been red flags for a lot of us when it came to John Bayline and maybe some people were more ahead of the curve on it. I definitely wasn't one of them because by all accounts, John Bayline is a charismatic person who can smooth things over. Maybe that's why he and Kobe worked first, but it's just, it's definitely yeah, for sure. And now that I'm thinking about it, Chris, I shouldn't dump on OU because they did knock John Bayline's Wolverines out of March Madness in 2012. So you guys had to have that going for you. Yes, iconic. I wonder what I. What do you think? What for you would be a success level for JB Bickerstaff that you would look for next year? Well, if I asked JB right now, he'd say he wants to make the playoffs, but I don't think that's entirely possible. You, you and I are both like cool it, bro. Yeah, like the pump the brakes here. You don't like you, as you said. You need to learn how to walk before you run, and maybe you need to crawl before you even walk in this this with this Cavs team. But in terms of success, it's the same thing I would say with John Bayline, where if you can see tangible growth from these young players, and you can kind of just keep the bullshit within the locker room and keep it contained, and just not have seem like Rome is burning to quote Joe Varden every day in Cleveland and just kind of just be a, just be a normal bad team where people are like, Oh yeah, uh, the Cavs are going through a rebuild right now. There's some of their young guys look pretty good and pretty promising, but like otherwise relatively unremarkable. That's a good way to measure success in my book. Like I'd rather just things kind of be normal and just chill again. And I feel like things were heading in that direction when JV took over and, Hopefully that's a sign of things to come. That's going to be the question. Is you know, I, I think it's just you want you want to see growth from the young guys. That's a critique he had, and that critique I've heard about about JB is just like he wasn't developing guys. So I, how he walks that line but, because I but think we're caveat. And, sorry, go what? ahead. Sorry. No, I was saying like the caveat for that though is he didn't have a guaranteed contract like he does in Cleveland. So I do wonder maybe if he's okay with losing and developing these young guys instead of trying to coach for his life by putting the veterans out there. So I feel like maybe Yeah, but it's also like, you know, how patient are the Cavs gonna be? The Cavs are not an unfortunately patient organization. They're not, and that's why I think this playoff talk is uh something that's coming from within the organization and yeah, some of the I don't I don't think that's buy in, so. him. No, I don't think it's exclusively him and Colin Sexton. I'm starting to get the realization and starting to get the idea that this is a across the board kind of thing. So James Rapine, if you're listening, you might get your wish, you bastard, because you leave us in Cleveland for Cincinnati. So thanks. Yeah, thanks, James. But when I think about this, I, I think it's how how does he navigate those two kind of realities, those two those two your foots in two worlds. Like so how is he gonna navigate that? I think that would be really interesting to just kind of see what what the plan is there for for JB and kind of how he approaches that. I, I just think that's kind of an unknowable an unknowable thing for him. So mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. I think, but I do think the the decision, the the kind of group decision there to move on from Bickert from from Beeline was ultimately the right call. I think Should JB has got a better place. grasp on the team. I think all that's true and I want to see where it goes. So I, 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 but I think that we'll see again, what his ultimate success is over the long term. I, I think some of the stuff he's done with the three man lot, the three big line stuff is something I don't buy. Like I, every time I see like a uh, Larry Nance can play small forward or hey, Larry Nance is a friend of the pod and he told us he plays small forward. Okay. Look, I'm just saying, if you're talking about like making the playoffs and you're trying to make like these lineups work 
over like a large sample, I just don't buy that that actually works. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I think it's, it's a, and I just I'm like if you look at the, the numbers and you look at the data on them and like I don't know where these like six point nine plus numbers I keep seeing. I'm just like, where is this coming from? Like if you look at like cleaning the glass, like you sort the lineups, like they're not good. You're gonna it's, play when you play actual good teams and you try to use those, you're gonna get shit on. Yeah, no, you are, and I think I think Larry said it best when we were talking about it. He's like, honestly, we didn't know what we were doing with it. And the team, I think they first utilized it against Miami. Like they didn't know what to do against it. And like, it's just weird and unconventional. I feel like maybe whenever the Cavs do resume play, if it's this year or if they just can't call the season and the Cavs come back next year, like I feel like teams are going to be a lot more prepared and maybe we'll have a lot more hard data to make a case that this really shouldn't be a thing, but you know what? I'm okay with JD getting weird with it. I think you and I talked about it like when they first made the hiring official that if he just kind of ex- experiments and tinkers and does some funky weird stuff just to kind of breathe life into a corpse of a, a mangled corpse of a franchise that has just gone through the absolute rigor this season. Like, yeah, let's have at it. Let's do, let's get weird. Let's have fun. And that's what I'm craving with the JV Bakerstaff experience. And if we get more of that and maybe we realize what doesn't, doesn't work with time, like that's fine. But yeah, like you said, it, it shouldn't work, but for some weird reason, whenever they did utilize it, it worked. So I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, it's very, very weird. Okay, one, we'll be back right after this with a little more Lockdown Caps. Talk about Caps Heat and everything that went into that game. So stay tuned for more Lockdown Caps. All right, we're back here on Locked on Cavs. Evan, this this game, when you mm-hmm. and I thought about this, I think is probably the best one of the Cavs season. Miami's legitimately a good basketball team. They're, they were slash are a playoff team for this season. The Cavs win this game in overtime, 125 to 119. They do this with um, having a better offensive rating, a better free throw rate, all that stuff. Looked, It was just one of those games that I think just you're really impressed with what the Cavs did. They do it with... Mm-hmm. With a kind of, it's Garland, it's Love, it's Drummond, it's Osman, it, but it's really the bench unit kind of with KPJ going nine of eighteen for had thirty points. Larry Nance has sixteen on eight of eleven shooting. Um, you have Tristan Thompson has fifteen off the bench. You know Love had seventeen and all that, and and Drummond has thirteen. Uh, Colin only has thirteen in this game. But the Cavs just like as a group just end up beating a good Miami team, a team that again doesn't have Jimmy Butler um, playing in this one. So you have like their best guys off the floor. Take that for what you will. But this just feels like one of those examples. Like JB's the coach. You have things kind of rolling. You're he- you're a little bit more healthy than you were, and it ends up just becoming like the best we've maybe seen the Cavs play all year. And that's not nothing in a season where like there was a lot of bad. And the fact that it came in February towards more towards the end of the season, the beginning is kind of like an interesting little note for me about that. Yeah, absolutely. And just to put things in perspective, um, this is game three of the JV Baker staff era. Uh, the first win being a comeback win against the wizards, which was a hell of a lot of fun. And I'm like, okay, you know, maybe this, cause I wasn't hundred percent sold on the coaching hire. I was like, cause I think a lot of our Memphis colleagues on Twitter just kind of put a sour taste in my mouth on the overall coaching experience. And then, they head down to Miami where historically Cleveland has been 
bad, bad, and I don't even know how long the losing streak is in Miami at this point, but it's it's been many moons since the Cavs have last won in South Beach, but they lose to that one, 124-105, to 105. and then just two nights after, they come back and win against Miami, and like you said, it's just a lot of things just going well, and I think it's the team, one, getting a good, like you said, a good good health, um, Kevin Porter just going absolutely off, just being great, and then just getting solid contributions from everyone, and the fact that I think in a game like this where it was definitely a close one and it went into overtime and like the Cavs scored, oh my God, they scored 31 points in the to tw- Miami's 12 in the fourth quarter, which is absolutely insane when you think of just the Cavs offensive production overall. Um, just, it was a fun, solid win. And it, that's where you can point to this game and say, John Bayline wasn't winning this game and JB Bickerstaff was tapping into this team and finally getting them to play to a bit of their potential. And then it just makes me want to scream to the seal, the heavens saying that, why didn't JB just get this job from the get go? Because maybe we'd have a lot more fun with this Cavs team and maybe they'd have the same record, but at least like, they'd look a lot more competent in losses than in completely shellacked and just hopeless. Yeah. Is there is there any other game that pops to your mind when you just think about the Cavs having a having a good win in the year and all that stuff? Is there any other game for you that pops into your mind in terms of something that that really ultimately mattered or caught your attention? Is there any other win that you can think of that comes close to this? Because I I have I have, I have to go a, through and get. I have the, the I have the win and I wrote down the win in Washington that they had. That was um, a good right yeah. before this win. And I have the win in Philly, which was just kind of fun and random. And I think I have the Spurs win that they had in OT right before the season came to a scratch scratching halt as a 132-129 overtime win is the other one. Yeah, that one was a good one. I think that win over De- – well – De- Oh, the Denver win. The Denver win. The Denver win and that win in Detroit before they beat Denver was a fantastic one too. Like – because I think I, I still firmly remember this. You and I are both like, oh, yeah, no, it's great. The Cavs played really well against Detroit, but they're not going to beat the Nuggets. And they go in there and control that game from from wire to wire. And like that was a good game. Like I think it's either a Nuggets win or when they beat the Hawks um, in John Bayline's last game as head coach, Like that was a really good game. And that's when we, like, we were not sure if John Bayline was still going to be no, we weren't. I was starting to hear rumors that he might not be coach going forward, but it really came to like light, like right around the weekend of the All Star break. You're like, what the fuck, this team? But like, if that's John Bay- ways John Bayline's going to go out, like he picked a good game to go out on top with Nance scoring 23 points to go with 12 boards, two assists, three steals, two blocks, like fill in the box score. And like across the board, like Tristan Thompson had 27 and 11, and like everyone just good time. Oh, and he also made three three pointers. It should. As I'm reading the box score, I'm sure people are noticing that now, but that game was a lot of fun and just a weird season. Not a lot of wins to pick from from the Cavs, but some of those wins, I think maybe because the losses were so bad, it makes me appreciate a lot of these wins a lot more. Like a lot of the ones you listed as well, like those were fun games to watch because either the Cavs had to come back or the Cavs just absolutely dominated their opponent. And that's just something I'm not used to at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very telling when I think about this in terms of the games um, being towards the more the end half of the season. Like, it's it's games, you know, towards the end of before we got to the hiatus. Like, the Miami game was, you know, less than a month before the end of the season. As we know, the, the Spurs game that we were talking about was there. You know, the other one they had against the Nuggets was in March. Like, these are things that 
man, it's been over a month. That's weird. I didn't even realize that until looking at that. That's time really yeah. is in a weird spot, but like the, the win in Denver was, you know, in early 2020, like I don't, I can't think of a game, you know, towards the beginning of the year. I, and some of this just because my memory is just bad and all these things, like I, I would like to go back and kind of think about some of these things in some of these games and please let us know if, if we're missing any or if I'm missing any or whatever um, on, on Twitter. But when I think about these instances, mm-hmm. it's kind of telling to me that these things, a lot of these best performances are more towards not the beginning of the year, but at least even if it was a one-off when Beeline was still like, coach, it was still like not in the first month of the season. Like it was when things did develop a little bit. At least that's that, that tells me that things at the beginning were not as the, the, let's just say the structure of the beginning of the season was not helping the Cavs. So I'll be curious to see if they can get off to a better start next year. Yeah, I'm interested too. Maybe it kind of depends on who they play, but yet that to consider a lot of things here. Like we're gonna get a revitalized Colin Sexton. He's had his basketball taken away from him, so I'm sure he's gonna come out like more juiced and amped up than he ever has been. I think having JB as head coach will definitely help with Kevin Love, who will likely be here next year, and Andre Drummond, who will likely be here next year if he can get Andre to buy in. Like that helps Kevin Porter. Um, JB is a big advocate for. Like we didn't even touch on the fact that. JV wanted to play Kevin Porter more at the point. That's another pleasant surprise of the JV Bickerstaff era is like he's just trying to experiment with things and just play to the strengths of some of his players and maybe it makes you raise an eyebrow, but whatever, you might as well try it. And like I think the Cavs I think they're in a good it's weird to think and it's weird to say they're in a good place right now and hopefully the draft lottery kind of goes their way and like they can get a solid player just to add to this foundation and just kind of see where the chips fall, where they lay, and just figure out what happens next. And I think maybe we, Chris and I, talked about this a lot, where the Cavs had no direction and they weren't even close to finding the road towards that direction. But maybe they started finding the right footing to get to that place. And maybe this time next year we can say, all right, the Cavs are at a bit of a crossroads. They are walking towards no longer being a rebuilding team and starting to become a playoff team. Or things fall apart in the most Cavs way possible. And... We're just back talking about what could have been and what should have been. So I guess we'll see. But for now, I think the Cavs are in a good place. And I'd like to hope to think that it stays that way. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, Evan, any final thoughts as we get out of here? Really just miss basketball. I I, I talked on this a little bit, like the tribute LeBron's going to get. But like, imagine how crazy if they did a last dance style doc for the LeBron era, especially like that championship team and maybe even the 2016 and maybe oh man i'd love to see behind the scenes like the year Kyrie got traded and like everything just started falling like it absolutely terrible like soul sucking to watch but like the behind the scenes drama like that'd be some good reality tv like style trash for me to just to completely consume and i think that'd be a lot of fun to watch and i don't know like the mj doc is cool but uh, what about you what, what what's on your heart chris as we say goodbye to everyone for now I would say if I could pick a Cavs team that I would want a documentary about, it would be the 18, that last LeBron year, because I feel like we've gotten yeah. most of the stuff about the 16 team already. Yeah. I'd and like there's to just see a some. lot of little questions I have about that last year. So it would be that if I was going to pick a documentary Cavs team, I think that would be the one that I would want. I, and I, I do hope we get some kind of, clarity about what the season's going to look like going forward. I think that would be kind of interesting. The, and the other, the last kind of bit about this is when I think about the last dance, I'm pro that this isn't a binge because I would rip through it in a day. And I like yeah. that I have something on Sundays that I can look forward to. 
I know you have Westworld, but like I'm Fuck out on that, that. So I'm glad I have Fuck that show because I've ripped through like Better Call Saul. I'm I I ripped through uh, Veronica Mars rewatch Zero Zero Zero, which is the show about the cocaine trade, which is very good on Amazon that I ripped through. But it's just like I like that I have something that I cannot just like binge through right now. Yeah, I get that. And you said I have Westworld. Like I'm indifferent on that show too. I'm I'm like. I'm, I'm on the edge of being done, but I was on the edge of being done last year the, throughout this time in season two. So I'm hoping it turns around, but you know, it, it's a lot of fun. And I think maybe people are really starved for quality, like just good sports content, but it's just nice again to see like everyone on the app, just kind of uniting under one thing and just something we really miss. And the app is in Twitter. And like, I, I'm not really, I'm just kind of like watching the documentaries last night and everything. And like, I just kind of put my phone away and just like watch it and enjoyed it. And like, it was cool just to like scroll through my timeline before I went to bed last night and just see like everyone was just so excited and so happy to watch it. And like what's done in the dark will find a way to shine. And there's a lot of dark stuff with that last LeBron Cavs team. And I'd love to see what was going on behind the scenes. Hell, even that last LeBron team in his first stint with the Cavs, like there's a lot of stuff to unpackage there as well. Like, it'd be definitely fascinating to see like how bad it really was when it was time for the best player in the franchise's history and arguably of all time for to walk away both times. Like, yeah, both would be fun docs to watch. Yeah, that's really where I would be at. Um, but we'll be back with more Lockdown Cavs later this week. Have Book Club on Friday, a WNBA-focused guest that we'll have on the show, which I'm very excited about, which will be fun. But stay tuned for that. Get right up on the preface and the first two chapters of The Return of the King for our Friday episode, and then every week we'll give you a tease of the next episodes to come. But stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for all a bunch more here on the Lockdown Network across Lockdown Cavs, Lockdown Browns, or whatever. Thanks for listening. Thanks for staying with us amid this kind of a continued hiatus, and we'll talk to you again soon.